Chapter 16 There were figures from a nightmare, warriors with silver bodies and lightning swords. Wherever those blades fell, bodies split in half, there would be a clean moment when every severed organ and blood showed in the afternoon glare. Then, vitality spewed in the sudden space. All went red and grotesque. Only the sword remained clean, darting down to notch cobblestone before rising to slay again. Gix reeled, clutching a fence post shorn by such a brilliant blade. After centuries of peace in Halcyon, there had been no need to apply new power stone technologies to warfare. It took a man like Yawmoth to gaze into a crystal and see the potential for murder. An angry smile formed under Gix's bandages. He himself had used the power stone and attempted murder. He was the original innovator, and he could innovate again. Beyond the shorn fence, a sedan chair waited in a small statue garden. Catching an anxious breath, Gix vaulted up over the fence. A sword shaved through wood behind him as though it were mere paper. Leaping into the sedan chair, Gix slid a trembling hand beneath the control crystal. He pulled upward. The craft jittered into the sky. There came a crash below. Gix glanced over the rising edge of the vessel. The silver-garbed warrior who had pursued him into the garden had taken a swing at the sedan chair, missed, overbalanced, and spilled among the statues. Marble figures toppled around and atop the guard, pinging against his armor. His sword had bit deeply into the ground, and he struggled to yank it free. Gix moved to his hand to the top of the control. The craft plummeted. It spun slowly as it descended and veered toward the struggling warrior. Sword arm pinned under pernicious statue, the man was oblivious. The sedan chair fell like a hammer on the man. Even enchanted armor could not dull that blow. There came a screech and a groan. The warrior collapsed beneath the crushing weight. The chair cracked and fell to one side. A hiss of steam went up. Gix clambered from the wreck and surveyed his work. The garden was ruined. Shattered statuary littered the ground, and the warrior lay among the other figures. He was little more than pulp within his power stone armor. It pulled away from dead muscle. Aching and dizzy, Gix flung back fallen statues, peeled the man's fingers from the sword hilt, and dragged the thing loose. The sword was quite a heft, and it tingled in his grasp. Gix kicked the helm off the bloodied head and set it in place on his own head. It, too, bristled with power. Feverishly, he knelt and tugged at the bloody armor. I can use this sword to seem one of them. To kill ten of them. He panted as he worked. I can strip them, too, and dress ten untouchables. Each of them can kill ten, until we've taken the whole city. The armor sucked free a pulverized man. Gix wrangled into the slick suit and felt it tighten around him. Until we've taken the whole city. The sword clipped the fence one last time, and Gix strode forth. He had not gone three paces before he ran his blade into the eyes of another guardsman and dragged him into the Garden of Statues. Zod paused, hauling a sword off a man's chest. It was horrible work for a healer. To split open this machine work masterpiece. That's not why he paused. He paused because Yamal spoke into his mind. There are impostors among you. It was not so much the sensation of the voice, but the tactical sense of one mind pressed upon another. Turn around. Look for lesions. Do not trust everyone in armor. Some are untouchables. Some are the damned. He staggered, scanning the street. His company of twenty had been pursuing a group of untouchables through a granary. They had met little resistance until they had discovered a family holdup in one of the silos. The parents had fought like a pair of lions to give their children a chance to escape. The plan worked, and the young ones ran off while Zod clove their father in two. It was horrible work, but it was the will of Yawmoth. Another healer staggered back from the fallen mother. He tapped his helm. The message must have been going to all of them, all the Halcyte warriors. Yes, there were two others, staring about themselves in shock, and a third who ran up purposefully 
up behind his comrades. No! Zod shouted. He was too late. The two guards had begun to turn when the untouchable sword flashed. Their heads left from their shoulders on a pair of crimson fountains. Their armor sucked away from their bodies, even as those bodies fell, lifeless, to the ground. The untouchable crouched over them and plucked up the two swords. Zod arrived in the next moment. His own blade descended. It sliced through the untouchable's neck. There were three heads now on the ground, and three helms, and three oozing bodies. Zod lifted his eyes, unwilling to see their faces, unwilling to be caught by another untouchable in silver armor. Destroy the armor, Zod. Destroy the helms. Yamath's thought pressed him on his mind. Do not let another untouchable claim them. As though it moved with a will of its own, Zod's sword lashed down, splitting three helms and three heads. It smashed down thrice more, cutting wide three breastplates and the hearts within. What about the swords? Zod found him asking. Give them to the citizens. Let them fight. Let them help you drive the dam back into the sewers. Now go, Zod. Kill any who remain and pursue the rest below. Nodding numbly, Zod gathered the three swords. He strode out of the empty granary. The street beyond thronged with untouchables, tearing down fences, bashing in doors, dragging daggers over the throats of citizens, looting and burning. Zod waited in their midst, slaying savagely, without remorse. You should have not let these children go, Zod. I know, Yawmoth. I know. Yawmoth pulled his fingers away from the large gray stone in the schematic of the lower city. His eyes remained closed. The mental contact persisted for a moment, even after the physical connection was broken. The granaries are secure. I have a good man down there. I had five good men. Where's out now the untouchables have been disguising themselves in house-site armor? That trick will no longer work. He opened his eyes and noted the expressions on all the faces there. Rebecca watched the crystal map table intently. Eldest Jameth looked green-gilled. She had not spoken for hours. The elders had varying expressions. Amazement. Adoration. Concern. Doubt. Hope. Even a few of Glaceon's goblins had entered the room. They watched like delighted children. In rapid succession, Yamoth laid his fingers on various other power stones. The temple remains secure. The council hall is regained. Crews are scouring the amphitheater and arena. There are only a scant hundred riders in them. And soon there will be none at all. The eighth terrorist will secure once they are slain. Rebecca glanced up from the stones. She shivered, as if chilled by his easy tone. The elders about her nudged each other in quiet congratulation. Their homes and places of work would soon be safe. I would estimate a thousand house deaths and four thousand rebels. They are on the run now. They know they cannot win or even survive. The leader will always choose to survive. His fingertip clutched the gray power stone linked to the granary. A smile crept across his features. Ah, Gix. Even now he flees back home. Down the channel, we have been unable to discover. He flees wearing a helmet linked to me. Hands flying now across the array, Yamoth closed his eyes. The smile deepened. What are you doing? Asked Eldest Jameth. Yamoth did not pause to answer. His hands moved in violent bursts across the matrix. When at last the task was done, he leaned warily back from the table and blinked his eyes open. I sent a message to each of my soldiers in the lower ward. They all have an exact visual of the route to Gix's retreat. I commanded the house-site guard to pursue the rebels down into the caves. For what purpose? Rebecca blurted. For what purpose? Yalmoth asked. There are already prisoners down there. Unless you'd plan a mass execution. Yalmoth hauled the crystal table up. It swooped past their noses, swiveled, and stood in the cabinet, 
It seemed no more than a panel would. Yamath placidly closed the doors before it. The war is won. The demonstration concluded. You can't just kill them, Rebecca protested. There are many citizens in the quarantine cave. The quarantine cave will not be entered, Yamath pledged. Those orders were clearly given. They are not attacking individuals. We are exacting punishment on rebel murderers. They have slain a thousand citizens today. Shall we leave them down to rise again and slay another thousand? And again? And again? The sooner the threat to the city is ended, Eldest Jameis said quietly, the better. Yamath dismissively brushed his hands. What happens down there is the direction of the house I guard and their captains. I, meanwhile, have more important and more pleasant tasks to perform. He reached into one of the pockets of his armor and drew forth a pennant with a glowing blue stone in it. He opened the chain outward and solemnly drew the amulet around his neck. This gift is from a friend, an amulet that allows me to call on her in grievous times. Rebecca blinked. Call on her? In answer, Yamath clapped the stone between his hands. A woman suddenly appeared in their midst. Thin and muscular, the black-garbed woman had short shorn hair and ebony skin. Her eyes were piercing, and her smile a little mocking. The elders leapt slightly back at the sudden arrival. Rebecca stirred ground, eyes narrowing. Dyfed. In the flesh, the woman responded with a gentle bow. Eldest Jamet stared suspiciously at her. Who are you? A wizard? Yamath laughed. No, she's grander by far than a wizard. Dyfed is a new breed of human, a rare and wonderful breed. She is the living manifestation of human destiny. Though she was born a human, she is now as different from us as we are from animals. I didn't know what to put on display, Dyfed said. She is a planeswalker, Yamath concluded. A planeswalker? What is a planeswalker? It will be easier to show you, Yamat said. I have asked her to conduct us on a tour of some of the planes, to give us an idea of what she is and what we might become. She has agreed. She will take us to walk the planes. Dyfed swung her arm out, sweeping the company. Her fingertips trailed a palpable magic, as though her arm were a sorcerer's wing. Pinions of energy brushed their heads and bodies and clothes, enveloping them in a gossamer veil. The laboratory faded from view, as flat as an old memory. A crazy geometry ruled the blackness around them. Circles curved outward instead of inward. Pentagons had square corners. Every line bled itself into every other possible line. It was a chaos of potentiality, in which all things simultaneously did and did not exist. The corridors of time, Dyfed said in their minds. The blind eternities. The bastard plane. Whatever name you would call it, this is the nonsense in which all planes afloat. Everything that is derives from the place of things that are not. There came no response to her words. The mortals couldn't move. As rigid as statues, they hung there alongside each other, just as they stood in the laboratory. Yamoth, Eldest Jameth, Elders, Rebecca, and even the goblins, none moved. Only their eyes held life, the spark of intelligence. Suddenly, they were in an utterly different space. It was a sear world of orange rock and windswept sand. In the distance stood fingers of stone too tall and narrow to stand on Dominaria. The sky was red, and through its pale veil, stars winked even at midday. The group stood on that world, their feet imprinting the dust, but the magic pinions of Dyfed still unfolded them. I will not release you entirely here. You cannot breathe, and you would freeze, and your eyes would be drawn from their sockets. If not for these things, you would enjoy this place. 
Here you could leap thrice your height. I brought you only here to convince you that it was nowhere on Dominaria. And now for a more habitable realm. Again into the blind eternities they spun, against the solid world flattened and folded and inverted itself. The journey seemed more brief, more tolerable. They emerged into another world. They stood on a drifting cloud in an illimitable sky of purple. There was no land below, no sunny emptiness above, only this all-enveloping purple and the stacks on stacks of clouds. A fine mist above their knees condensed to solid ground beneath their feet. The final tracers of Dyfed's magic released them, and they could move, breathe, slump down in weak kneed awe on the slowing, transforming cloud. Rebecca strode gently forward. Her feet made a wet sound in the cloud. It clutched enviously at her. A few paces led her to a cloudy cliff. She walked with ease over the knob of stone and stood there, perpendicular to the rest of the group. In a play that is only cloud and sky, it is better if one cannot fall. Dyfed said gladly. She swept her hand out again. The gesture enveloped the company in silken bands of power. Rebecca seemed to be lying on her side as jacket through the halls of time. When the company emerged again, she was in fact on her side. There would be no better place to be on the lofty meadow. Those who were not lying down, or at least kneeling, collapsed. As high as the clouds had seemed, this sunny overlook was ten times as terrifying. Below the cliff's edge, wide rivers formed slender threads on a wide plain. Ancient forest seemed but clinging lichens. The endless ocean at the edge of it all visibly curved. Only Dyfed remained standing, and beside her, Yamoth, because he leaned on her. His voice was giddy in that soaring place. This is our destiny. It begins today. I have asked Dyfed to find me a paradise, a perfect plain, and make a permanent portal to it from Halcyon. The caves of the dam will become a doorway to our paradise. The first who dwell therein are our own infirm. Folk made ill by Powerstone Thysis will move into a virgin world, safe from ravaging magic. They will be cured. Once they are, they will open the world to the rest of us for colonization. Yes, elders. I promise to end the riots and have done so. I have promised to eradicate the Thysis, and I am doing so. I promise to elevate our race into divinity, to bring us to a perfect world in which even death will hold no sway. This day is a first step toward that glorious new world. The only untouchables who survived in the caves of the damned were those in the quarantine cavern, those with thyses. It was among them that the soldiers found Gix. Ravaged by disease and war, Gix lay in the dark alcove and panted like a dog with storm terrors. He still wore power stone armor and helmet. In one hand, Gix clutched his sword. With each, he had slain 18 guards. The mood for killing was gone from him, though. He did not lift the sword, even when health corps workers surrounded him. He did not clean the hilt when they snatched the sword away. It was lucky for him that they didn't. The workers were ordered to slay anyone who resisted. Had Gix resisted, he would not have survived to see Yawmoth. Of course, surviving was what Gix did best. Yawmoth stood above him now. The tip of his sword hovered above Gix's throat. There would be no escape this time. Why don't you get it over with? Gix asked, trying to sound brave. Get what over with? Yawmoth replied. Why don't you go ahead and kill me? Yawmoth sighed impatiently. Whether or not you realize it, Gix, you are my puppet. You have been my puppet for years. I knew you would rise to lead your people. Your ideals run deep, but not as deep as your fear of death. It makes you utterly predictable. Honesty, discipline, charisma, fear. These are your marionette strings. I have been pleased to pull them, but I have no more need of a puppet. Then why don't you go ahead and kill me? Gix shouted. A puppet, no. But a servant, 
Yes. Like all of us, Gix, you must ascend to survive. You must climb out of your former skin. It is too small for you now. Take command of your strings. Vow your loyalty to me and live. If I am only a puppet, Gix growled, then why don't you just make me vow? Yalmoth's eyes were as sharp as his sword. That is what I'm doing. He stared a moment more and then snorted. This is tiresome. Yalmoth raised his sword for the killing blow. Wait! I will serve you. Loyally. Forever. Yalmoth strode through the caves of the dam among the dead. Health corps workers tended them with wheelbarrows and meat hooks. They no doubt considered this a mass grave. Yalmoth would change their opinion. He walked a particular tunnel, long and smooth in the bedrock. Dyfed had said such a site would be needed, surrounded in solid basalt. He walked through the tunnel, running his hands affectionately along the black stone. At its end lay a small chamber, what had once been the private residence of a lord among the damned. Here, just across the threshold, she would make a portal to paradise. Where others saw a mass grave, Yogmoth saw the future. 